This is Jeff Standridge, and this is the Innovation Junkies Podcast. If you want to drastically improve your business, learn proven growth strategies, and generate sustained results for your organization, you've come to the right place. Over the next half hour, we're going to be sharing specific strategies, tactics, and tips that you can use to grow your business, no matter the size, no matter the industry, no matter the geography. We'll be talking about everything from sales and marketing to organizational, operational, and leadership effectiveness to innovation, digital transformation, everything in between. Routinely, we'll bring in a top mover and shaker, someone who's done something unbelievable with his or her business. We'll dig deep. We'll uncover specific strategies, tactics, and tools that they've used to help you achieve your business goals. Welcome to the Innovation Junkies Podcast. Hey guys, if you're looking to put your business on the fast track to achieving sustained strategic growth, this episode is sponsored by the team at Innovation Junkie. To learn more about our strategic growth diagnostic, go to innovationjunkie.com diagnostic. Now let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Innovation Junkies podcast. I'm Jeff Standridge. And this is Jeff Amarine. And we're really glad to be here. Jeff, tell us about our guest today. Well, we've got a pretty amazing guest coming on, Will, Will Hurst. We're really glad to have you here, Will, and I've known Will for a long time. Will's got uh, over 31 years of innovation experience. He's got a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Systems Engineering from the University of Arkansas. Will and I have worked together literally for the past 20 years. I first met him when I was a senior executive at American Freightways. Uh, he worked at American Freightways prior to that, but when I met him, he was with Symbol Technologies. He's worked for uh, AT&T as a global solutions architect, Zergotech, and most recently, uh, Sensata. But he's just a world-class innovator. He's done some things that have been of global scale, rolling out big systems for companies like Maersk and others. And Will, we're really happy to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. appreciate you inviting me. And, and I think most of that was true. I don't know. I may have, I may have had I, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. You did a lot so better where, than I could. Where are you located, Will? Um, I'm currently in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Oh, great. Fantastic. So, uh, well, we're going to start today with a random musing, if you will. We're going to talk about our music genre of choice. So you get to go first. Uh, it's a tough one. I like all genres. Um, I was just uh, bragging to some workmates. My in-laws are coming in, and when they come in, uh, we have country music jam sessions. So I like to play bass guitar to country music, but hey, I'll even listen to hip hop and classic. If it's good music, it's good music. So I, I'm kind good. of a, a arbitrary when it comes to music. Very I like good. classic rock the best though, I think. Yeah. How about you, Jeff, A? Eh? Well, man, I'm, I'm kind of like Will in that, and I like, I will tell you that I don't think there's been any good music after 1978. So that'd be the one qualifier, <laughs> but, but. But I love, I love, love a classic Motown. I listen to a lot of Motown music and classic rock and roll. Those would probably be my, my top two. Well, I listen to both kinds of music, country and western. Country and western. There you go. Uh, Merle Haggard is my favorite. Oh yeah, I love, I love classic country um, and classic rock actually. So I think both of those are very, very related. You know, there's a fine line between. You know, some of the classic rock of the Credence world and some of the classic yeah. uh, country. Oh, no, I agree. So. Credence is awesome. Marshall Tucker Band, mm -hmm. Steve Miller, we, yeah. Eagles. We play a lot of Credence. We can go on. 
Oh yeah, we could go oh, on. Yeah. My in-laws are in their seventies and eighties, and and we both like Creedence Clearwater. That's, that's, that's oh yeah, good stuff. Uh, some of some of the some of the good stuffs slim pickings around here now. You can't hardly find it. No right. doubt, slim pickings. You know, the old fail safe on that is on on good rock and roll like that would be ZZ Top or Leonard Skinner. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, anything during the disco era was definitely slim pickings for anything that sounded like music <laughs> and not just random yeah. drum beat. Exactly. That's exactly. right. Well, how about we move from music genres and start talking about innovation? It's my favorite subject. Well, we're gonna we're gonna hit you hard with some of this stuff because I know you have been at the center, both in the trenches and then at the strategic level on on innovation. As as you think about, let's suppose the question from a corporate standpoint, as you think about mid-sized to large companies, how should they be thinking about uh, incorporating innovation into what they do? What have you seen work, and what have you seen not work? Well, you know, Jeff, um, I think the industry that you and I came from is a, is a key uh, industry to talk about. Uh, when you and I started in, in trucking, you know, uh, American Freightways was in a class of their own of leveraging technology to try and improve operations. And, and even to this day, you know, we're, we, uh, my company I work for, we focus on transportation logistics because it's amazing how many operations are still using legal pads and pens uh, to run their operations. And so... Um, some industries are faster than the others to realize that you can leverage technology to really improve costs and, and improve um, uh, your, your position in, in the marketplace. Uh, I was talking to a former colleague at AT&T who's now, uh, she teaches in LA and they, she was using the Maersk use case uh, and she interviewed me to help um, with her, her lesson plans. And we were talking about just how innovative it was, you know, 10 years ago that we were doing some things with uh, smart shipping containers, and now you know it's turned into an industry of its own. So, I think every it's starting to come come down to even those small and, and medium sized companies that you've got to do whatever you can to get an edge these days. And uh, technology and innovation is a key to that. But when you look at Maersk in particular, which is a gigantic, you know, probably more than a hundred year old company, you could you could view them as being kind of staid and and maybe low risk. How is it? that you were able to kind of be a driver to help them do something that ended up being globally co- consequential. What can you say about their culture or their, their willingness to adapt innovation that might be helpful to our audience? Well, luckily there are still some companies, uh, Maersk is one of them. Um, we're seeing some of this, uh, you know, we, we saw it at FedEx where, uh, even though they're old, stable industries they 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 recognize you've got to do something to get a focus you know we've seen this time and time again whether it's ibm or or some of the other companies that if they stayed the course for what they did they would be dinosaurs they would just disappear and and so those companies that recognize that even a company like mirrors they recognize that if if they could do something that was that would really disrupt the industry uh, such as incorporating uh, intelligent containers so that they wouldn't have to buy as many containers. They'd have containers in the areas of the of the world that they needed them when they need them for revenue opportunities. And then they can make those containers last longer. They were smart enough and brave enough to embrace that and, uh, and, and take that challenge, which, by the way, it's harder for a big company who's got 400,000 shipping containers in the capital outlay. It's harder for them to make that decision than it is a mom and pop who's got 10. 
you know, um, the, the economies of scale are, are, are amazing in that perspective. So that's one of the things, by the way, when I was with, with AT&T and, and now that I've been with Zergo, we try to find those companies that are willing to take that risk. And, and I, th I think that's step one is uh, the, the corporations have to be brave. They have to be brave yeah. enough to embrace it. Well, that, that that's really good. And Jeff, you want you want to get in? Don't let me dominate all the time. Will's, Please, Will and I've got such a long history. We we could chat about this stuff all day long. But jump that's in. That's all right. I, I'm enjoying listening. Uh, so, Will, when you when you talk about innovation, you talk about number one being brave and being willing to take the risk. What also what what else do you see among successful innovators? Whether it's characteristics of the innovator themselves or the environment in which they innovate. They have to know their business, um, and they and they have to be, you know, what what we have what we're seeing is there's some corporations that are ran by salespeople, and uh, you know whether or not they're selling internally or they're talking about selling to their their customer base, they're not they they lack the business knowledge and the acclimate to understand what really pays the bills and what really you know takes away from their profits. Um, one of the things that I thought was very uh, impressive about Maersk, and I'm, I'm going to use them again, is um, they told us we have this concept of a stool. And, you know, a stool has to have at least three legs to stand. And so anytime we're looking at any type of innovative design, innovative process, we have to find three sources of significant ROI, not just one, not two, it's got to be three. Mm -hmm. Because inevitably, one or two of those are going to fall off or we're going to find they're not as as significant. So by identifying three and focusing on those, um, it helps to make sure that the ROIs are realistic. So having enough knowledge of your business to know where the flaws are and, and where technology and innovation can truly make a difference. You see these companies all the time that they'll adopt uh, innovative products really don't help. They don't cut profit. They, they look good. You know, someone in the organization look good, but it really doesn't have that impact on the business. What I've seen be successful in, in both large, small, and medium companies is when they know their business and the innovation that they're adopting will make a significant difference. So do you have any examples you could share where, you know, those, those maybe an, an innovation where there, there was those three legs to the stool and to help maybe our listeners understand that a little bit? Talk about American sure. Freightways and, and maybe weave in some of the the uh, Sheridan Garrison story and how he attacked the market because I think it would illustrate the point and you were you were in the early days of the wireless handhelds there and whatnot. That, I think that'd be a yeah, good one to illustrate. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, Sheridan was a visionary and, and so a good old Arkansas boy who started a trucking company in Harrison, Arkansas. It was amazing the things that they were doing. I, mean, I graduated from the U of A in, in 93 with a computer engineering degree and had been working in a, a facility that was manufacturing, uh, you know, some of the highest technology chips that were used in fighter jets. You know, I thought... I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to go, no telling where I'm going to end up and what I'm going to be working on. And I ended up in Harrison, Arkansas. And, and I was amazed because the things that they were doing there, the technology that they were leveraging, uh, Sheridan understood that the business was stagnant. The business, the model was set in stone um, and it, and there was going to have to be something to disrupt that in order to cut costs, improve service. Uh, and so that's what they did. They identified three areas is how do we cut cost? How do we improve our service so we maintain our customers? And how do we uh, be able to build a system that will allow us to scale, to take advantage of things like, and Jeff, you remember this, there'd be times when you, uh, US, the US Postal Service would have issues or UPS would go on strike and, 
and there'd be the surge of business that would come in. And it was inevitable that we'd get this big spike in business. And then it would, as soon as uh, the strike was over with, the customers would go back. Well, Sheridan recognized we got to do something that allows us to scale and to offer these services and in- improve on those services so that when we have these opportunities, we can grab market share. So cutting costs, keeping customers and grabbing market share, they seem simple and they're, they're business principles, but knowing the technology and focusing on the technology that would address those three business challenges and be able to make a significant difference. I, th- I thought that was uh, an, a- an area that FedEx, now it's FedEx Freight, American Freightways did very, very well, especially in those early and, days. Well, and specifically, you know, some specific things that I know you were you were in the middle of is they were very early out of the gate building their own internally developed transportation management system, which they didn't buy That's from right. the cloud or the other players. And they built this state-of-the-art wireless pickup and delivery solution that was better than what anybody else had, including FedEx. A lot of people don't realize that 70% of all of the uh, pickup delivery activity is dynamic. In other words, that driver leads that truck terminal, and they don't know what 70% of their activity is going to be. It's dynamically right. sent to them. Hmm. And so talk talk about some of that. And, and one other thing, too, is the people part of it's real important. And we used to say so that if you talk to an IT person from American Freightways, you'd think you were talking to someone in operations. Talk a little bit more well, like that. I mean, we know yeah. these guys, but talk a little bit more yeah. about that. Quick story. Uh, my mother, when I graduated from the University of Arkansas, she bought me a suit and I think four pairs of nice slacks and, and, uh, and shirts because I was going to work in corporate America, right? So first day I show up at the office and uh, the, C- the CEO at the, or C- the CTO at the time came to my desk and said, what are you doing here? Uh, and why are you dressed like that? And I, you know, I was a kid out of college. I said, I, I'm sorry, sir. What, is, he said, you must not have gotten the memo. You need to be in Little Rock and you better go by Walmart and buy you some blue jeans because basically they the first six months as a computer engineer, I was on the dock and I was busting freight off of trailers and I was driving a forklift and I was fortunate enough to have a CDL because I drove transit buses at the U of A, putting myself, helping put through school. So uh, I actually drove a truck and, and was part of an emergency response team. So I, I was very impressed with the fact that it didn't matter what you did for that company. You spent the first six months and, you know, basically entrenched in the organization, learning from the ground exactly how things work. Because he said, before you write a single line of code that's going to change my operation, I want to make darn sure you know what that operation is and how it works uh, for real. I thought that was very innovative uh, for that to, you know, to be the case. Hey, folks, we'll be right back with the episode. But first, we want to tell you about a limited opportunity to take advantage of our strategic growth diagnostic. For a short time only, we're offering a free strategy call to see whether or not our unique diagnostic tool is right for you. Go to innovationjunkie.com backslash diagnostic to learn more. Some of the systems, I'll, I'll never forget, Jeff, one of, you know, there's those moments in every career that you're proud of. And one of the things I'm most proud of is the day I was in Kansas City and the Wall Street Journal came to uh, the freight terminal there in Kansas City and they said, this is the most uh, innovative operation period right now. When you look at the automation that we put in, we put in a dock system uh, that was that which automated the, the moving of trailers from one door to another and understanding how, the, how that affected load. We had a pick and delivery handheld in every driver's hand and we had this uh, route optimization system that they put in to make sure that long haul was optimized. And, you know, to be a young kid 
from Arkansas and uh, and be there and to, to be in, involved in that, it was it was very a proud moment and very impressive. And the, and the lesson I think that that our audience can learn from that was Sheridan Garrison would attack the market with tech, not technology for the sake of technology, but he would always ask the question, not, well, what can go wrong? You know, you know, not necessarily immediately what's the ROI, but he said, what will happen if we don't do this? He was very exactly. much one that wanted to attack the marketplace with things that he believed were going to deliver competitive advantage. And it made all the difference for those 18 years prior to the acquisition. It was the fastest growing LTL company in the country by a long shot yes. and still yeah. has has the best reputation for what they did during that time frame. It was always Old Dominion and, and uh, uh, American Freightways that were viewed as the service leaders. And it was largely because exactly. we talk about how do you make innovation stick. The culture and innovation went hand in hand there. Very tight coupling where everyone believed that what they were doing was important and that they needed to constantly figure out how to be better. Uh, anyway, and Jeff, you know, another illustration yeah. of that is, you know, it wasn't technology for the sake of technology. At the same time, we were breaking. We were like the Walmart of the TNL industry. We were we were just breaking the rules on how you did pickup and delivery, how you did overshortened damage processing, so the claims were down and that you married freight up before you even got lost on on your dock. At the same time, we were doing these extremely innovative things. Things like voicemail and email, I mean, they were so far behind because he didn't see those. He said, I don't want a voicemail. I want you to be able to be in contact with your customers. That's a crutch. So they did not just throw investment into technology for, for uh, technology's yep. sake. And that, that's a prime example of that is we were very behind the times on the thing that he didn't see as major impacts on the business. Well, and it made a difference too, because even though it wasn't innovative one of the things that i can tell you for the period of years that i was there is if you called into that place and you had you, you had a problem that you wanted worked on you got a live human being who wouldn't release the call until they found exactly the person that could help you and so their service right. levels were constantly and that in and of itself was innovation sometimes not adopting a technology to maintain uh Kind of a white glove treatment or or a, a customer satisfaction level is competitive advantage where you walk away from what might otherwise be an easier route by implementing voicemail and and other Absolutely. other similar tools. Absolutely. So, so, Will, how do you spend your time today? Tell tell us what you what you work on today. Well, I found the perfect company to work for. Uh, I've been in technology my entire career, straight out of university, and. I found a company, uh, Zergo, which we just got acquired by Sensata, and is a perfect fit because uh, it's a hardware company. We design and manufacture hardware, but we did something uniquely, uh, uniquely different than uh, virtually everyone else in our competitive space. Is everyone else that does that that designs and manufactures um, IoT, which you know IoT stands for the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. It's one of the hottest technologies. It, it touches every industry from healthcare to to education, to manufacturing, transportation logistics. Virtually all of our competitors are out there and they try to guess what the market wants and then they build a product. And if that's what the market needs, great. If it isn't, they, you know, the, the customers have to go somewhere else. Uh, when I was at AT&T, I was part of an innovation group that um, anytime an enterprise customer for AT&T came to us and said, hey, we're looking for something that either it's not on the shelf or it's on the shelf, but it's not what we need. Um, what do you suggest? And AT&T partnered with uh, Zergo, my current company, because all of our products started as a custom solution for somebody. It was something that didn't exist. 
So uh, what I spend my time doing is I get to work with people on a daily basis in all industries, all over the globe, trying to solve problems. I, I, I was up at 5.30 this morning. I was on a call with some folks, uh, an integration company in the Congo, the mm. People's Republic of the Congo. They have a problem with um, um, people uh, vandalizing their power li- their power lines. And I'm talking about mm-hmm. high voltage power lines. Yep. They're destroying these towers so they can steal the, the line, the copper. Mm-hmm. And yep. so they're looking for an innovative solution to, to uh, put in place to try to uh, detect when there's these issues and, um, and, and come up with a way to, to address that and react to it in time mm-hmm. to salvage and save costs. So that was my 6 a.m. And then at, uh, at 7.30, I'm on the phone with uh, a gentleman from the National Health Service in Great Britain talking about tracking medical assets. So that's what my company does is we solve problems. And the wonderful thing about that is we don't have to worry about price a lot of times because the solution we're offering is, is totally unique. And so I get to play with uh, cool toys and help companies solve problems that innovation is the only way they can solve it. So talk us through the process that you go through with a customer. They come to you and say, we, you know, do they come to you with ideas? Do they come to you with problems? Uh, You know, talk us through that. Both. And typically problems. Typically what we see is we have customers like uh, AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile that will have a customer that is trying to solve a problem. And that, by the way, Maersk, that's how that happened, is they tried six times to find a solution that would solve their their issues with uh, tracking refrigerated containers. They they came to AT&T as an outside chance because they're a Danish company. And, you know, they, they don't necessarily uh, love the fact that they would deal with a U.S. company. Um but we got through that and, you know, we showed them that we knew what we were talking about. And we approached all these deals the same way is you, you shut your mouth and you open your ears. You know, the, the old saying, God gave you two ears and, and one mouth. Or that's a pretty wise statement because you focus on what you listen to, what the customer's needs are. You listen to what their challenges are. And it's not only enough to know what they're trying to accomplish. You need to spend your time discovering what the challenges and the, and the roadblocks are to get to that. That's usually the the devil uh, of the details is is what are the parameters you're going to have to work around. So we spend a significant amount of time in pre-sales just trying to understand the problem the customer is trying to solve, and then we have a a toolkit of of platforms instead of products that will find the pro- the platform that's the closest match, and we build from that, and that gets us to the market quicker. And we have adapted um, the um, the lean method of, of uh, development where we have these two-week sprints, which allows us to interact with the customer more, more often and make sure we validate the solution before we go too far down the path, which is great because it, it gives you an excuse to be in front of the customer, to continue to show the value and to have their interaction so you don't build a bunch of stuff that you learn six months later is not what they were looking for. Yep. But when you do that every two weeks, um, you have a lot fewer errors. It's kind of like when you're building a house, right? If if you talk to the builder at the close of, to the end of the product, pro, the product, uh, and you find out he used the wrong carpet and and he built this room the wrong way, well, it's kind of late. It's going to be very costly to to change those mistakes. But if you're interacting with him on a daily basis, as he starts to make mistakes, you can say, "Hey, hey, that's not how I want it," and it's a lot cheaper. So we have this methodical method that we approach these innovation, innovative product, product development uh, mm. projects, and it, it works really well, and it's, it's worked both at AT&T and at Zergo. 
What's the biggest challenge you see across these clients with whom you work in terms of really getting them to innovate? Companies have leaned down so much that the subject matter experts, and we're seeing this mistake in every industry across the board, to cut costs, companies are, they're shedding what they see as their expensive resources, those subject matter experts that actually know their business. They're shedding them and they're they're adopting these uh, these new methods of doing business that no, it's hard to find the experts anymore. There's a, a large retailer, I'm not gonna mention any names, but there's a large retailer we're working with and about the time we figure we have leverage to help them out, they shuffle everybody around or people leave and you can't find anyone that knows what they're, what, what's going on mm-hmm. that can even analyze the issues. And, and like I said, if, if we're starting this by opening our ears and letting the customer tell us what their challenges are and what the parameters are, if they don't know what their challenges and their uh, features that they need, how are we going to know that? They, mm-hmm. they should know their business. So that's one of the biggest challenges is companies are it's almost like the dumbing down of corporate America. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to find someone in the in organizations anymore that know what's going on, that will that has it. And then having the time to sit with you to tell you about those things mm-hmm. is a challenge. And then the IT departments are all been watered down, and they have consultants that you you know it's hard for to find the experts that know how their IT systems are organized. That's one of our biggest challenges is finding those internal subject matter experts that we need to to interact with us. You know, as a follow up, a follow up on on some of that, it, you you all are, have had a successful now publicly known event where very innovative, small to medium size. I guess you'd say medium. You guys were pretty good size. It's been acquired now by a publicly traded company that's over a hundred years old. Talk about that, and then talk about how you see the future going as part of this larger sort of innovative uh, juggernaut. How do you think that's going to work out? Well, uh, Jeff, you know, the proof's in the pudding. We're a hardware company. And when you look at the fact that uh, we sold for 20X uh, and everything that our parent company is telling us, the reason they bought us is when they compared us to everyone else, they saw that we had true, you know, intellectual property. Even though we're a hardware design company, the things that we learned over, uh, you know, 10, 15 years of experience, things like uh, uh, adaptive power management, which is very important when you talk about a little piece of hardware that's the size of a matchbox and it's got to last for two years on a single battery charge. You know, things like power management are important. Things like picking the right battery so that it can withstand being charged in high or low temperatures. Uh, that knowledge and experience is is not trivial. And so when they looked at, oh, you guys are actually designing this. You're designing your own antennas. You're designing and you're writing your own software that is you know, that's using machine learning and, and machine vision. Uh, we have true data scientists in our organization. So we, we that they saw as, okay, you're not a commodity shop. You are actually an intellectual uh, um, property shop. You've got all this knowledge and this expertise. Uh, I think that should be a lesson for a lot of industries. And, and that goes back to what I was saying is that when companies almost commoditize their business, and they get rid of those subject matter experts, those innovative thinkers. It it can be devastating. Well, and it, you know, IPOs for companies like yours are kind of mm-hmm. slim pickets and, and rare events, really. But an acquisition by a big publicly traded player like it's Sensata that that bought you guys. Uh, tell us a little bit about them 
and what your perception is of their culture and, and a little bit of their history, because I think it's also instructive. They've obviously valued the fact that you guys represented an, an, a competitive advantage throughout innovative you were and your place in the market. Talk a little bit about the acquiring company. Sure. So uh, since auto, we were very, there were some of us in uh, upper middle management that knew something was going on and, and we knew there was a couple of possibilities for an acquisition. And when we found out it was Sensata, we were uh, very, very pleased with that because number one, they were an existing partner. We'd actually worked with them. So we knew the culture. We knew that they were a hardworking company for a company so large. And they were kind of like us. You know, um, you can, it's hard to find anyone who, who knows who Zergo is. Once we tell you where our products are, you know, progressive insurance, whenever you see Flow hold up that little snapshot device, and that's a device we custom designed for progressive. And then when you look at any mirrors container and you see our devices on there and FedEx trailers running down the road, you see every FedEx trailer, no matter if it's here or in Canada or in, in, uh, in Europe, it's got our tracking device on it. Sensata was kind of the same way. It's hard to find people who, who know who they are. But the fact of the matter is, if you're driving a car or in a train or on an airplane, they're sensors. They're a sensor company and they have invented and designed and developed and, and sell some of the most... Uh, robust and uh, mission critical sensors. They had um, equipment on Apollo 11, uh, control panels and sensors. I mean, it doesn't get any more mission critical than that. And so we are proud of the fact that they have a long history of developing innovative products that are ex made for the most extreme environments, which in which fits in perfect with what you know Zergo does in the IoT industry. So. A very good fit, um, big company, you know, three uh, three billion plus dollars in revenue, about nineteen thousand employees, corporate headquarters based out of London with uh, U.S. offices in uh, all of the U.S. But our U.S. corporate office is in Edinburgh, uh, um, Massachusetts. So um, it seems too that they they want to keep us nimble. They have us as an innovative group, and they want us to stay an innovative group. They're actually hoping that we're going to help infuse that innovation into some of their core products, which I think is very intelligent. That's the opposite of what we're seeing. You know, they're buying subject matter expertise to bolster the, and make sure innovation continues. So, well, let's talk a little bit, get very practical for a moment before we, before we land the plane, if you will, for our listeners. Uh, let's say it's a CEO of a mid-sized or senior executive of a mid-sized uh, company all the way up to a senior executive to a CEO in a, in a larger enterprise. They know they need to innovate. They're not really sure where to start. Uh, they, they're looking at the environment around them. There are constraints that are continuing to be heaped upon them, if you will. What, what would you tell them? That's a tough innovation. one. That is, that is a tough one. Um, you know, one of the things that Sensata uh, promotes, and I've already talked to Jeff about this, is they recognize that giving back uh, to STEM, you know, they actually have a program where they encourage employees to uh, have X number of uh, volunteer hours uh, to, towards STEM activities to give back to the community uh, and to, you know, help, uh, you know, small firms. That One of the things that they value, and by the way, AT&T did the same thing, uh, they changed at and changed their um, their Bell Lab structure to actually be uh, a series of foundries that were supposed to promote and help small companies mm -hmm. to in use innovation and uh, to to in increase their place in the world. Um, I think 
those companies need to invest time in understanding what's going out on in the marketplace from an innovation standpoint. A lot of times they're so focused on the tactical things that they forget that you've got to be thinking about what is going to be impacting your business tomorrow and next year and the year after that. And if you don't get out there in these particular arenas, the, the startup community, you know, there's a lot of stuff I learned from being involved in helping Jeff out with some of the startups. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of, there's a lot of cool things that I've found I've applied and, and Zergo was a medium sized company. So I can say that, you know, not having the blinders on and, and also not being stuck up to think you're only going to learn things from, from, you know, Harvard business journal or from going to CES that you actually are going to learn things from the, the people who are doing the most in innovation and those hungry companies that are in, in startups, you know, entrepreneurship, that's where you learn a lot of what's going on. A lot of the trends are coming from, these small, tiny startups that are trying stuff that, you know, they're bold and, and, and they're passionate. And so mm-hmm. I would say, don't, you know, don't be blind to something that's probably right there in your community um, uh, where you're going to get a lot of ideas and you're going to get energy from that innovation. Very good. Thank you so much for that. No problem. Well, we uh, we appreciate you being with us today. It's it's been a pleasure. It's I, my pleasure. I, I appreciate getting the chance to meet you. I know you've known uh, the other Jeff for for quite some time, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to put names and faces together as well. Well, I appreciate well, the opportunity for, to come on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Your your insights are always uh, spot on, and and I know our audience is going to get a lot of value out of it. So thank you very much. Well, Jeff, you guys keep up the good work. Uh, this world's going to need it. Uh, there's there's a lot of work to do. We have a lot of challenges, and uh, I think innovation is going to be the way to get you know get right sized. That's Zergo X I R G O. Check them out. We're with Will Hurst today on the In- Innovation Junkies podcast. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you on the next episode. Hey, listeners, this is Jeff Amrine. We want to thank you for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the Innovation Junkies podcast, please do us a huge favor. Click the subscribe button right now and leave us a review. It would mean the world to both of us. And don't forget to share us on social media.